I, um, I absolutely believe that this morning, as Haley said, I'm a little bit on fire today. I believe the Lord has a word for us today that is encouraging, that is instructive, uh, that is, um, it is something that we can activate and there's an impartation today that I think is so exciting. So let's pray and get started. So God, I just thank you so much for your word. I ask your blessing upon it, God, that as we open your word, we can learn of you because that's really our heart. That's really our goal. So God, thank you for your Holy Spirit that teaches us. And I thank you for your blessing upon our time in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, last week, if you were here with us, you heard a message from Pastor Lindsay on an undivided heart as it relates to fear. If you didn't catch that message, I want to encourage you to go to our YouTube channel and listen to it because it was really awesome. So this week, I'm going to take the baton from him and I am going to run with it a little bit. And I have a message called the leadership and legacy of an undivided heart. Now, this, now, let's just talk about this for a second. Leadership. Leadership, it just, for the, for the purposes today, there's a short little um, way that we can explain it. It's just, it's influence. Leadership is influence. John Maxwell says that leadership is not about titles or position or flow charts. Leadership is actually about one life influencing another. So legacy is what you leave behind to others when you're gone, right? So Pericles had a great quote, what you leave behind is not what is engraved in stone mountains, but it is what is woven into the hearts of others. So this is kind of a lighthouse message for me. And so what, what do I mean by a lighthouse message? I mean that this has been for I don't know, over 35 years of walking with the Lord, a beacon. It has been a directive. It has been a vision message. It has been what at the end of my days, I hope people say, oh, she was like this. So it is my hope that this becomes that lighthouse message for you today as well. We're going to talk about the life of Caleb, as in the infamous or more than famous Joshua and Caleb and the 12 spies, that story. And I think there's a lot to be learned about, the, about leadership and legacy because Caleb, his name, by the way, means dog or there's a Hebrew, inf I know, I know, it means dog. Or there's a Hebrew inference that means raging with canine madness. And I don't actually think you say it that way. I think you say raging with canine madness. And that was Caleb, right? You can look at the person next to you and say, I am raging with canine madness. <laughs> Can't actually say that without laughing. At. So anyways, that's what his name meant. But you know, Caleb, <laughs> some of you are doing a really good job. You know, Caleb was raging with canine madness. He was Caleb was never really the top dog and he wasn't the, the number one. He wasn't the leader. He wasn't like the, the, the top of the, he was, but he was six times in the Old Testament. It is said of him that he had a different spirit and he followed the Lord wholeheartedly, meaning with his whole heart. He had an undivided heart. So Caleb is known for living with an undivided heart, for living wholeheartedly heartedly. And this was the leadership and the legacy that Caleb actually left for future generations. And we're going to take a look at that today. Now, one thing that um, I want to read for you just as we start off is Caleb, because we're going to start off kind of at the beginning of his life, but for this purpose, we're just going to read what Caleb at the end of his life says about himself. In Joshua 14, uh, let's start with seven. You might have more scriptures in, in, in your notes, but let's start with seven. Caleb is speaking, and he says, 
I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. Remember that, that's important. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet... You, on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Here's a good point. It's not simply where you have walked that will become your inheritance. It is how you have walked. It's not simply where. It's not just about the things you leave because this says... This will be your inheritance because you have followed the Lord. Because there was something about the way that Caleb followed the Lord that, that, that God said, I'm going to bless that. And not just for you, I'm going to bless generations that come after you. So today we're going to talk a lot about how we are walking, our leadership and our legacy. Now, for me, I know that in, we're sitting here in this year, we have kind of been through some unprecedented times. No one knew that 2020 was going to happen or be that way. And I think at some point, as we kind of started to roll into it, what I sensed was that people were asking, like, can we do this? Like, it's going to be really bad. And if it does, do we have what it takes? Do we have what it takes to withstand this? Do we have what it takes to go through this? And what about our children? What, what can we expect in the future? I mean, do our children have what it takes to face what's coming in the next year, the next decades, right? Because there's a lot of fear out there. And sometimes you can start to wonder, do we have what it takes? Well, I'm going to tell you, we had it. We had it for last year. We have it for this year. And all those kids that are in our midst, they have it. They got it. They got everything they need to face their future. They do. That's why they're born right now. That's why I'm not 17. That's why I am 59. I had what it takes to be here right now living in this time. They have what it takes to be living in that time. And we need to tell them that. We need to change our dialogue for next generations and say, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's coming. Could be bad, could be good. But here's what I know. You have it. You got everything you need. You don't need to worry, and here's why. Caleb showed us in his life, there, there were four things that I in particular love about his life. One of them is conviction. He lived with great conviction. He was courageous. He lived a life of consistency. That's not romantic, but I really like it. And he was a man of incredible confidence. Those are four things that I want to talk about today as we kind of highlight the life of Caleb because those are four things that I think they're, they're leadership traits, but they also sow things into a legacy that are really important for future generations. Now, I'm going to do something because, as my husband says, I like to create rules and then make myself follow them. So, I am going to give you, because of our time together, the backstory of the life of Caleb. And I'm going to try to do it in three minutes. Are you ready? I think I can. All right. So, 
Jacob was from the tribe of Judah. He was an Israelite. He was born during the time when Egypt was, when Israel was enslaved in Egypt. Interestingly enough, he was born during the time, exactly during the time that Moses was exiled into the land of Midian for 40 years. By the time Moses came back, um, Je Caleb was an adult. He got to watch Moses go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. He got to watch the flies, the frogs, the locusts, the darkness. He got to put blood on the doorpost of his house and he got to actually be in the first Passover. Pretty soon Pharaoh got tired. He said, oh my gosh, you guys got to get out of here. So Caleb packs up his entire family. He takes off and then Pharaoh changes his mind. So he sends his army after him. So pretty soon Caleb is trapped between the Red Sea and between the Pharaoh's army. And he gets to watch the deliverance of God as the Red Sea parts. He walks across on dry land. When he gets to the other side, he turns around. He watches the Egyptian army be completely decimated as the waters overtake them. Then he joins his entire people. They wander through the desert for just a little bit. They land on, on Mount Sinai. This was a lot of people. Some people say a million. Some people pay six out. I don't know. It was just a lot of people. But anyways, at the bottom of Mount Sinai, and they get to watch the cloud. They get to watch the glory. They get to hear the thunder. They actually get to hear the voice of God. Moses goes up for 40 days up on the mountain. He then comes back. He has the law, and he has instruction for the tabernacle. So they build the tabernacle. Caleb gets to watch as the Lord's presence descends on the tabernacle. He sees the cloud. He sees the pillar of fire. As a member of the tribe of Judah, whenever that cloud moved, he was the first to actually go after it because their tribe went first. So, oh, by the way, he ate manna. He ate quail. He drank, from a, he drank from a rock. He actually got to watch the defeat of the Amalekites. And then pretty soon, he ends up at the, at the border to the promised land. This is where God says to Moses, hey, go choose a leader for us from every tribe. One from every tribe. The best, the brightest, the, the most courageous. So Caleb gets chosen out of 73,000 people. Must have been that raging canine madness that must have said special forces. I don't know. But anyways, he joins his peers, 11 of them. They go into the promised land for guess how long? 40 days. So they come back. They bring a report and they go, there's people there, there's people there. That bothered some of them, but not Caleb. They also said there's milk, there's honey, it's super good. There's really big fruit. It took two people to carry it. And oh, by the way, who eats giant fruit? Giant people. So anyways, they didn't disagree on what they saw, but what they disagreed about was what it meant. And that's where we have to stop. Two minutes. I'm there. That's a fun thing. Make a rule, then make yourself follow it. So anyways, they didn't disagree on what they saw. They disagreed on what it meant. Because as we read before, Caleb gave a report based on the conviction of his heart. So each one of those spies, they remember, they were chosen out of their entire tribe for being leaders. It was said that they were leaders. They were courageous. So we're not talking just regular people who, you know, are out. we're talking brave leaders. So he, he, these are peers. So each one of them gave a report based on the conviction of their heart. But 10 of them came back and said, oh my gosh, this is so scary. I mean, there's people in the land. There's Canaanites, there's Amorites, there's Amalekites, there's all these people. Why are they surprised that there's people living in the land? But there's giants. There's giants in the land. They got fortified cities. We'll never be able to do this. And so I love this so much. Caleb's report in Numbers 13, and that was a little bit of a, of a paraphrase, um, the people were just, it says that their report made people melt. It says that their report said, we're so small, we're like grasshoppers. We're like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And even in their so it says that in Numbers 13, verse 30, that Caleb silenced the people. Caleb literally stands up and he silences a nation. Now, Caleb is a man of few words. So here's what he says. Okay, everybody's freaking out. And Caleb says, Aaron, stop talking. Silence. And he stands up and he goes, 
Uh, we should take possession of the land because we can do it. That's it. That's what he said. Now, because he's raging with canine madness, he probably said, we should take the land. We can do it. But that's what he said. Because see, Caleb, uh, Caleb's report, according to the conviction of his heart, told him that it didn't actually matter what was in the land. He knew that they could do it because the conviction of his heart was a heart that followed wholeheartedly after God. So we get a little clue about the heart of the other 10, right? So, um, so the other 10, they basically say they start to spin out of control at this point, And they're like, oh my gosh, there's no way. We're so small. They're so big. They're so scary. If only we had stayed as slaves, we should have stayed in Egypt because guess what? God brought us out here and he's going to kill us. He's going to lead us in there just to kill us. And they're saying, we, should, we need to go back. We need to go back to Egypt. We need to go back to slavery. Maybe we should get new leaders. Here's an interesting thing. Are you looking for leaders that are going to take you back to where you were so you can be comfortable? Are you looking for leaders that are going to take you into the promise of God? Because I think sometimes we're looking for leaders that are just like, make us, we don't want to be uncomfortable. So you're going to lead and you're going to take us back into a place of comfort. But God says, step into your promise and find a leader who will take you there. And the difference is that Caleb had a different spirit. He was raging with canine madness. It says he had a different spirit because he believed that God would do what he said he was going to do. So are you looking for comfort Right now, are you looking for a leader that's going to take you back and make you feel comfortable? Audrey, I love her. She leads our youth, Audrey Palmer. She said on our sermon prep, I know, she's so awesome. She says, Julie, are people looking for comfort to follow their comfort or their commission? And I was like, oh, let me write that down, Audrey, because those people were looking for someone to lead them into comfort. And Caleb was saying, we're walking into our commission today. So it's an interesting thing. His words, he goes on in Numbers 14, and he's going to respond courageously to the Israelites' fear. And he says, 14 verse 8, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, right there, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. So Caleb stands up and he's like, there's two things. Don't, this is rebellion against the Lord. And also don't be afraid. So see, Caleb's courage was rooted in his knowledge of God's care. So this wasn't actually a question of the Israelites believing that God could or couldn't do it. They had seen God literally drown an entire army. They had eaten manna. They had watched their victories. They literally had seen and heard the voice of God. They saw the pillar of fire. They knew his glory. They didn't doubt that God could. What they doubted was his devotion to them. They said, God is going to take us there to kill us. They doubted God's care over them. They doubted God's covenant and God could could not bless that because they didn't trust him because they were afraid of God. And Caleb said, I fear God. I will fear nothing else. 
Because if God is for us, who will be against us, right? If God is with us, we should go up and we should do this because who will be against us? Psalm 8611 says, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. See, Caleb feared and reverenced the name of God. So all other fears had to take a back seat to that. See, the 10 other spies, they, they, were, they, they were more afraid of giants because they didn't understand God's care over them. How many of you know that you can reprioritize your fears? You can reprioritize your, what does that mean? You can decide which fear you are currently responding to or which emotion. You do it all the time. Let me give you a little example. So, a uh, number of years ago, my middle son, Philip, you know him, he was, uh, he was getting ready to take his DMV test, written test. And so we went to the DMV and there's like a plexiglass room that they put him in and he was taking his test. And I was right, you know, outside of the room. I could see everybody in there and I was watching him, but the door was over on this side and you could see people coming into the door and then and outside there was like a little portico or a little, I don't know, entryway. So I'm standing over there and it was shortly after we had had some shootings or bombings or something like that. Fear was really high. And so I'm standing there watching. He's taking his test and I see some guy walk up. Doesn't look good. Doesn't look good. And he's carrying a long bag that I identify as a gun bag, big old long bag. And he takes it and he's looking around, looking around. So I'm just watching him. And he puts the gun bag, he puts it down on this bench right outside the door. So now I'm like, what is he doing? So he opens the door. He steps in the door and he screams, nobody move. I have a gun. And I think everybody thought he said, I have a bomb, but I heard I have a gun and I saw I have a gun. So at this point, that's kind of scary, huh? That's pretty scary, huh? So I had two things going on. I had one, a very scary man with a gun yelling, and I had two, my son in between us. So there was a fear of the man with a gun, but there was a greater fear of, guess what? My son being hurt. So I take off. Everybody stops. Everybody freezes. And I take off running. I am running towards the gunman. I am running. He turns around. He's going to grab his gun. And I'm running as fast as I can. And I am like, oh, no. I am raging with canine madness. And so my son will tell the story as he just stood there and he went, oh, there goes my mom. And so I am just running. And all I'm thinking in my brain is I'm reprioritizing fear, right? Because I'm more afraid that he's going to get hurt. So I will throw myself in front of a moving train to save my children, right? So I am running. All I'm thinking of is when that guy turns around with that gun, I am going to hit him with all of me, all of me on all of him. And as he grabs the bag and he turns around, I, I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to scare him. So I start screaming, everybody do something. And so he turns around and all he sees is me just running like, no, you're not. And I'm running at him. And I, I felt, when I get to heaven, God's going to be like, you so thought you were so bad, but there was like 10 angels and he literally saw probably all of them. So he stands there and he turns around and he runs away. He takes off. Right. And I'm standing there. I'm like, well, there you go. Right. There you go. And so I go, I get my son out of thing, everything, you know, the police are called, everything goes on. And I get my son. And the first thing he says is, I'm so telling dad. And I'm like, 
no, you better not. So we walk in the door and, and Micah says, oh, Phil, hi, how'd you do? How'd you do your test? He goes, mom's chasing a gunman in a DMV. <laughs> like, you rat, you traitor, you are never driving my car. <laughs> so he was that kid. He was like the police. He would definitely always be honest and tell the truth if you asked him. He's still that way. So anyways, but what I'm trying to tell you is you do it all the time. You reprioritize your fear. So sometimes you're scared of one thing, but you need to do something, and that's also scary. You know what? Just do it scared. See, the thought that we can't do things that we're afraid of is a lie. We can do things that we are afraid of. And you know what? The next generation, they need to know that. They need to know they can be hurt and they won't bend. They need to know they're resilient. They need to know they can be victorious. They need to know they're strong. They can know, to know that they can live through heartache. They can live through hard times. Because you know why? They were made for this. They need to know that. We need to tell them. So you can reprioritize your emotions. And Caleb had decided to reprioritize the fear of God over anything else in his life. I will be afraid of, I will fear God. I will be afraid of nothing else. And that is why his heart was so undivided and he was so wholehearted. Now, he gets to, we get to Numbers 14. God gets to respond to that because see, God can't, but they don't trust him. They don't, the, the people of Israel, they don't trust him. They don't trust his care. He can't bless that, but he can certainly bless Caleb's undivided heart for him. And so, uh, Numbers 14, Moses is speaking for God, and he says, not one of those who saw my glory, because remember, they all saw his glory, who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me 10 times. Okay, this wasn't the first time. It says, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has trusted me with, who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me whole heartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Now, God is speaking and basically we're going to go on to the next part of the story, but God pronounces a blessing over Caleb and then he also tells how he's going to deal with all the Israelites who chose not to trust him. But we got to talk about the next part of the story. So I think I can do this next part of the story. I don't know. I'm going to shoot for a minute. We'll see if I can do it. So anyways, God forbids anyone over the year of the age of 20 years old to enter the land. So he takes all the people, he turns them around, they got to go back through the wilderness. Now they've already been there two years, but they're going to wander for 38 more years. During that time, Caleb is with them. Caleb is completely silent. We don't hear anything from him, but he's being consistent. We know that. He gets to watch the faithfulness of God. God delivers them from their enemy time and time again. And oh, guess what? By the way, they actually defeated a giant in King Og. But Caleb gets to watch God's faithfulness. But what he gets to watch from the Israelites is their complaint and they're grumbling and they never trust God and they go from failure to failure to failure. So anyways, after 40 years, they get to the, um, they get to back to the, to Kadesh Barnea, which is the border of the promised land. Moses dies, Aaron dies, all this, and all the people who were there back then over 20 years old, they all die. So all this left is Joshua and Caleb and the next gen, right? So Joshua has made the leader. Caleb is 80 years old. He gets to be the oldest person to enter into the promised land. So once again, the waters part, he walks across the Jordan on dry land. He gets there. He's walking into his inheritance. But guess what? Oh, no. Five more years. Five more years of war. They got to clear out the land. So he goes over to Jericho. He walks around it seven times. He watches the walls fall down. And then he goes into battle. Five years later, which is a total of 45 years, they finally sit down and they go, okay, I think we can all split up. Everyone's going to go to their land. And this is where we stop the story. Nice. So 
that's a really long time. That's a really long time to have to be with people who continually question God, to have to live through continued failure and grumbling and complaining. Oh my gosh, that had to be so hard. And yet, Caleb, see, if I was Caleb, I don't know, I might have said, so you heard God, you guys go wander. I'm going into the promised land. I'll catch you guys when you finally get here. But Caleb had to go with them. That was so hard. There's a really great quote by Winston Churchill. He said, success is the ability to go from one failure to another with no loss of enthusiasm. And this was Caleb. He went from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. He was consistent. So we get to the place, we get to this place, they fought some wars. There's still some enemies in the land that have to be cleared out, but it's reasonable enough that Joshua and the leaders are dividing out the land. And that's when Caleb shows up. He tells the story I read at the beginning, and then he does this. This is awesome. He says, now then, Joshua 14, 10. Just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today. I'm 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle as I was then. Consistency. I am just as strong today as I was back then. I've been walking with the Lord for 35 years right now. I am just as strong today as I was back then. I'm still as strong to go. I got three things I got to do for God right now at the age of 59. I think that scares my husband, but I got three big things that I still have to do. And Caleb was like, I have been consistent. I, he's like, this is my story. I am now 85 years old and there is, n I have grown older, but I have not grown weaker. That's my lighthouse. That's my goal personally. So anyways, Caleb has a tremendous amount of confidence because he's been living with this undivided heart. He's been living wholeheartedly for God and that makes him confident. So he actually goes at Joshua and he's like, I'm gonna ask for my promise. I'm going to ask for my inheritance. I'm going to be bold and I'm going to be confident. So in Joshua 14, 12, he says to jo or he, Caleb says to Joshua, now give me that hill country. Or in my words, now give me that mountain. Because that was the mountain that they saw the giants in. The mountain that he's talking about is the mountain that he saw the giants in. The mountain that he's talking about is the mountain that God said he could have. It's the defeat that God said he could have. Now, him asking for that is basically saying, all these kids around here, they got to actually see that God is going to do what God promised that he was going to do 45 years ago. And they're going to get to watch it. So he says, give me this mountain. It's so awesome. So... You yourself heard that the Anakites were there and their cities and, and large and were large and fortified, but with the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. So basically, Caleb is like, it's not just me. I mean, Caleb's like the OG, right? He's like, I can take it. He's actually saying, the only reason I'm gonna be able to go to that mountain is because the Lord is helping me. He's gonna totally give all the credit to God. So he's not afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to ask God for your mountain. Don't be afraid to ask God for the impossible because you know what, if you never do, no one will ever get to see it happen. The next generation needs to see us walking into the impossible because they're gonna have to do it. And if we don't ever show them, they'll never know God in that way. If we don't ever show them boldness and courage, they'll never get to see that. And they won't know that that is something that's available to them too. So the next part of the story, I got a minute little over. 
So Joshua gives him the land, which is called Hebron. And guess what Caleb does? He goes up and before all of those youngsters, he takes on all of those giants and he gets victory and Hebron becomes his. Hebron is a really important city in the nation of Israel. It's actually where David was anointed. He actually ruled there for seven years and it became a city of refuge. And then there were still some cities that had some giants in it. So Caleb actually decides, hey, instead of me going to do it, because we clearly all know I can, I'm going to invite this next generation. Hey, all of you guys, you know what? You saw me do it. Why don't one of you go do that? In fact, if one of you goes and does it, I'll give you my daughter in marriage. You know what that meant? That meant that he was inviting them to step into his inheritance. So there's a kid named Othniel and he decides, I can do it. I saw you do it. I can do it. So he goes and he defeats that city. He gets to marry Caleb's daughter and become a son-in-law. Guess who Othniel becomes? He actually becomes the first judge of Israel and he reigns Israel and for 40 years they have peace. Not bad. There's a little more to the story. In the process of this, Caleb gives his daughter and Othniel, the future judge, who was envisioned by watching the life of Caleb, who stepped into Caleb's inheritance and was a receiver of his legacy. He gives them a piece of land and his daughter, she was smart, I like her. She decides they need water because this is a desert. So she's trying to encourage her husband to go to her father who's raging with canine madness. That can't actually be, you know, pleasant. Hey, go to your father-in-law and tell them we need water. And so Caleb understands this. So he goes to his daughter and he says, what do you want? Now you gotta know culturally, Women were not allowed to ask. This was not culturally okay. There are still places in our world, many, where women are still not allowed to ask for what they want. But Caleb invites his daughter to step into what she wants and into her inheritance. He reminds his daughter how empowered she is and how her voice matters. And it says that she came to him then and she asked him for water. And he says, I'm gonna do better than that. I'm gonna give you an upper spring and a lower spring. And you now are surrounded. You have the land that you need and you have the ability to cultivate it for future generations. You are set. And I love this story because it's inheritance and it's legacy. See, Caleb decided he could go take those other lands, but he invited the next generation to step into his inheritance. He said, I have done this. I believe that you can do it too. I call it running behind the bike. My staff knows it. If you ask them, they'll know what it means. I go, you get him going, you know, and then you're running behind the bike and you're like, I got you, I got you. And then pretty soon you just let go and you're like, they got it on their side. And then they turn around and you're like, you got it. You can do it, right? So Caleb was running behind the bike again. He was inviting people to step into his inheritance. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to, A, live a life that is consistent, a life of conviction, a life of courage, a life of confidence. And then we're supposed to invite that next generation to step in to that inheritance. Come on, I did it. You saw it. You can do it. I'm not worried. I'm not worried about these kids. I'm not worried about the next generation. I know they were born when they were born for a purpose. I was born in 1961 for a purpose so I could stand here today and tell them that they were born when they were supposed to for a purpose because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he did it for Caleb, he can do it for you. And if he does it for me, he can do it for you. And you are so well equipped. I have no doubt. And I'm actually very excited about them. Legacy. It's really important. And Caleb went from slavery to legacy. So 
A recent study, Barna study was done. I think they just released it. It was on the resilience of Gen Z. And I'm a, kind of a nerd this way, I like this stuff. And they asked, you know, Gen Z, they took a bunch of, they answered a bunch of questions. And 25% of them reported that they would be described as anxious. And 25% of them reported that they would be described as empowered. So let me tell you what the difference was. Those that reported that they were anxious, they were all afraid to fail. They were anxious about making important decisions and they were uncertain about their future. 10 spies, they were uncertain about their future and they were afraid to fail. That's the 10 spies. Those that were empowered, <laughs> always or usually, they felt like they were able to accomplish their goals. They felt like it was within reach. They felt that someone believed in them and they felt very optimistic about their future. And finally, I added this because I think it's super important and it really made me happy. 63% of those that felt empowered felt that there were people in their life that deeply cared about them. I can do that. See, that was Caleb. Caleb knew that there was somebody, God, who deeply cared for him and he didn't question. But the 10 spies didn't understand that God deeply cared about them and they questioned him and that made them afraid and that made them anxious. See, Caleb never questioned that. It's important that you know that God deeply, deeply cares for you, that he'll never change his mind about you, that he isn't leading you into some place just to let you fall, that he's brought you here because he wants you to have victory and he's given you everything you need. And yes, you may be around a lot of people that are failing and they might, for lack of a better term, suck. Sorry. But I want to tell you that you can do it. And it might get scary, but guess what? You can do scary things. You totally can. And it's so important that we get this. It's so important that we understand that legacy is on the line every day when we wake up. If you don't have, I think this was in Alice in Wonderland, three impossible things <laughs> that, you that you believe for, how is the next generation ever going to know? How are they going to see? How are they going to know when their times get tough that God is so much more able? How are they going to know who they are if they don't see who you are? I just don't know. I think we have to show them. I love them. I hang out with them. I think they're amazing. They also tell me all the words I'm not supposed to say because they're not good anymore. Never say that again, Mama Julie. I'm like, oh, okay, that used to be good. <laughs> Four minutes and 33 seconds. That's how long it took me to tell you the whole life story. I want you to see it. Four minutes and 33 seconds to tell the entire life story of Caleb. But his legacy has lasted thousands of years to me. So you get to choose four minutes or thousands of years. Four minutes or future generations. Legacy is on the line for you because I'm not in your life. I don't have the influence that you have. 
I don't have the kids that you have in your life. I have these kids. And I have my kids. But I don't have the people that are in your life. Legacy is on the line. Are you going to be four minutes? Are you going to be forever? Are you going to invite people to step into your inheritance? Is your inheritance and your legacy even something you want people to walk in? If not, maybe it's time for a change. I'm just saying. Legacy is on the line. And I just want to tell you that you can do it. You can absolutely do it. You were born when you were born to be who you are today and the people in your life today is because everything in you, the Lord is saying you can do it. He hasn't changed his mind. You're fully equipped. You can. You 100% can. If you're 20 years old, there is someone being born right now that needs you to live the next 20 years of your life with integrity because they need to see that you were a leader when they're 20 and you're 40. Because remember, Caleb was a slave, and yet he was identified as a leader out of 73,000 men. So there was something about being a slave that had absolutely nothing to do with being a leader. If you're 20, there is someone being born. Just like when Moses was in Midian, Caleb was born. If you're 40, there is someone who is 20 who desperately needs to know that what they're facing right now is they inherit our future, that they can do it. They need to see it in your life. If you're 80, they need to know that they will be as strong as they are <laughs> 45, 50, 60 years from now. They need to see that. I hope the kids see Mom Julie at 59 years old, off and running and doing what she's doing. And when they're 60, go, I know when I'm 60, I can do it because I watched her do it. If you're 80, you still have some mountains that God has promised. Go for it. Now give me this mountain. I still have three more. And I got a lot of young people around me who can help me. <laughs> and I'm so thankful for that. But I'm going to invite them to step into my inheritance. So um, this week, are you following your comfort? Or are you following commission? I guess you get to decide. Four minutes or forever. <laughs> Say that every day. Write it down so that every single day you can ask the, answer that question. Am I going to live for four minutes or am I going to live forever? And then look at your kids and look at those around you. We're gonna pray in just a minute. But legacy is on the line. So I'd just like to share with you a little about what's going on here at the movement. So much. So a couple years ago, um, a number of years ago, I was out on the mission field and I was working in the area of trafficking, little teeny kids, like under the age of 10, little kids. And it was hard, it was really hard. But one of the things I started to realize was there was a challenge with the little girls, especially in countries that were highly oppressive to women. Little girls aren't sent to school. They're not educated. They're not encouraged to be leaders. And actually like Caleb's daughter, they would never be able to ask 
They're highly persecuted in many areas. And so the problem that I started to see was that the value of these little girls was at stake, which is why somebody can walk in and say, oh yeah, we'll sell that one for $35 because we're hungry. And she doesn't really have any value to her community. It's why an entire community can turn their head and watch children being prostituted in their midst because those females, those little girls have no value. And so I said, okay, God, that's where the root of it is. Let's go after the root of it. And so we started an idea of something called the now, the Women's Summit, the Leadership Summit. And our goal was to go into, uh, go around the world and here, and also here in the States and help women to understand that they are valuable, that they have a voice, that they have influence, that they are leaders. And eat, whether they're in the most oppressive communities around the world or whether they're slaves, they can actually lead. They can influence future generations right where they're at. And so we started this, we got invited into a couple countries a couple years ago, we were in Southeast Asia and we were just, you know, laying some ground, plowing the land. We went into another country, we went into um, Nepal and we, we were meeting with church leaders and there's some work going on there about they're training their women, they're raising them up as leaders. We're seeing the value in them. If there's, if you can see value for someone in a community, you're gonna be less up to turn your back when they're being persecuted and harmed. So now we have an opportunity that popped up a couple years ago, and it's to go into a country that has not, it hasn't historically been open. And will you come? And I said, sure, sure, we can come. If God allows and God opens the doors, we'll come. It's been a couple years. There's a million women in this country who are enslaved, literally enslaved, like seven days a week, every day, all morning to night, they are slaves. They get up from the age of like four years old and they work all day long, 12 hours a day, and then they go to sleep their entire life until they die, they're enslaved. And we have an opportunity to go in with this message. It's not an easy trip, this first open door is to meet and we talk with chambers of commerce and we talk with church leaders and we talk, there's a lot of stuff that we do that's just really super exciting. And then yes, we also get to meet with these women, encourage them and remind them and pick their chin up and look them in the eye and say, you're a leader. There are Caleb's all over the place. We wanna go find them and we wanna tell them that they can do this. And so we're getting ready to the world is opening up. We're taking all the precautions. We're getting ready um, to go because we have an invitation and the door is open. And I said to the Lord, now give me this mountain. I've been sitting for a year through 2020. I got 10 times the energy I had when I started last year. And so I get to go. I get to bring one person. I'll be bringing my Joshua who just gave announcements this morning. And you can go to themovement.org. If you click on Now Summit, you can support the cause. I'm not shy in asking. I know we're asking for food, we're asking for all this stuff, but I'm not shy in asking. Now give me this mountain. You can also text now to 760-500-4888. And why this is important is because if you send a text, I can give you all the details that I can't actually give here. And you can follow the journey and you can follow, there'll be a blog and we'll, we'll, we'll keep you abreast of what's going on. So go to themovement.org, click on now, text now to the number, I think it's on your screen. And I hope you join the journey. I hope you follow the journey. It's something that's a passion of ours, a passion of mine. It's a mountain that the Lord has said we can have.
And I don't know where we're going next, but God has said we can have this mountain. And I don't know, maybe some of these young girls that are sitting in this room will be on a plane with me in a couple of years. And I'll be running behind the bike and they'll be like, I thought Julie was coming. And I'm like, yeah, go ahead. Um, and so they'll be doing it too. And so anyways, I hope you can, um, one of the action points is support the mission and join the journey. So anyways, I'm going to pray for you guys. You guys are awesome. I hope you're blessed. I hope this becomes a lighthouse message for you. And by the way, the name Caleb, it no longer means dog. If you look it up, it actually means faithful. He changed the whole meaning of his name, by the way, he lived his life. I wonder what Julie's going to mean, because right now it means immature. <laughs> it does. It means like useful, immature. So at the end of my life, I don't know what it's going to mean. Maybe it'll mean she finally made it. <laughs> she finally grew up. So anyways, well, God bless you guys. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for each and every single person in this room. I declare they are a Caleb. I thank you for what is raging inside them. I thank you for the mountains that you've given them. I thank you for the men in this room, God, that they are Caleb's, that they are living their lives with honor and respect, God, that they are leading families and leading businesses, God. I thank you for them and for the integrity of heart that they have. I thank you, God, for all the women in this room. I thank you for their influence, for their voice, for their value, God. I thank you that you are raising them up and that their voice matters, God. I ask a blessing on each and every one of them. I ask a blessing on the Now Summit, the Community Food Drive, and all that we're doing here as a movement family in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Well, God bless you guys. Go out, have a really awesome week.